Joshua chapter 24. And I want to begin by reading two verses of Scripture. Let's stand together if you're able to stand for the reading of the Scripture, and then we'll have prayer together. Joshua 24. This is really one of the most famous commitments in the Bible. I love Bible commitments. We, we had one last Sunday morning, not this morning, but last Sunday morning, from the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah challenged the people and made this covenant with God after returning from their Babylonian captivity, after the walls of the city were built there in Jerusalem, they made this commitment to God, this covenant with God. I think, I think commitments are good. And, uh, and so here's, here's probably the most famous, one of the most famous ones. I see this on plaques inside houses, outside houses. We have one on out on our porch uh, that echoes the sentiments of this part of this passage. Let's look together. Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Surely most people are familiar with that last part of verse 15. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. What is exactly does that mean? What does it mean for a man to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? What does it mean to serve the Lord? And so we're going to look at this passage in its context and see how it applies to our situation tonight. Let's pray together. All right, Father, we thank you for your precious word tonight. We thank you for... For the inspired revelation of God, we thank you for the providential preservation of your word for us. We thank you for the spirit of God that is able to open our eyes to the truths of your word. Lord, without you, we would know nothing. And we thank you that, God, you've given us a Bible Not just to carry under our arm to church, but to read and to study and apply it to our lives. We thank you that we have the promise you gave the Old Testament prophet. That you would write your words upon the tables of our heart. So we pray that you might do that tonight. Help us to be attentive. Help us to be pliable. Help us to be responsive to your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's really uh, helpful, it's worth our time to take just a few minutes and look at the background of this passage and the context of this commitment that Joshua is making. One of the most important things I think to understand about this commitment was the timing of it, and the timing was very simple. Joshua was about to die. He was coming to the end of his life. 
And at that juncture of his life, he, he's calling together the leadership of Israel to say to them, this is, this is what I want to challenge you to do. Let's look at a few verses that bring that out. Joshua chapter 23. Let's look in verse 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses here about the fact that he knew he was coming to the end of his life. Joshua 23, 1, it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and was stricken in age. Joshua 23 and verse 2. And Joshua called for all the elders, or excuse me, for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. Look in uh, that same chapter in verse 14. He says, and behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm coming to the end of my journey. I'm coming to the end of my life. Chapter 24 of Joshua, where we started, Look in verse 29, it says, And it came to pass after these things, the things we're talking about in our message tonight, it came to pass that after these things, that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. So he's coming to the end of his life. And at the end of his life, he, we have recorded here in chapter 23 and chapter 24, this challenge he gives to his people. And, you know, it's easy for me to put myself in this place and think about this. And uh, for, for some people here, um, it may be, it's like, let's just put it this way. It's not the end of your world, not the end of your life, but let's say you've raised a, a daughter. You've raised a daughter to one day get married and, and uh, start a family and move out and be on her own. You look for the day when... You don't have to stand in line to get to the bathroom and things like that. So, so, so you, you talk to her, you've invested in her, you've prepared her for this moment. And at this moment, what you're wanting more than anything is for her to continue in the way that you've taught her, the way you've instructed her, the way that you've led her. Now, she's probably not thinking in those terms, but you understand what I'm talking about. Or maybe, let's just, I'll give you another illustration. Maybe, maybe you've had a business. You've, you've, uh, you've been self-employed. You've had this business. You've, you've, you've built a successful business. You've built a good reputation. Word of mouth is positive about your business, and you're about to turn it over to someone. And what are you going to say when you turn it over? For most people, it's not like they're going to walk away and never think about it. This represents a big part of their life. And they want to know that it's going to be continuing in the same way that it's going. And as a pastor, I can easily relate to it, Brother Garn. You, you, you know, you pastor a group of people. You invest in their life. You pray over them and help them and encourage them and weep with them and rejoice with them and the day will come eventually that you, someone else will take that responsibility and it's not like you just finished your final day on job and you just punch the clock and you're gone and it never crosses your mind. No, you want to know. You, you want to know that things will continue in the same direction that they've been going and so this is where Joshua is. I'm trying to get you up to speed on where Josh is. Joshua is about to... He's about to turn it all over to someone else. So what is he going to ask the people to do? 
He's going to ask the people to affirm the commitments that they've made with him up into that point. So he gathers these people together. Look in chapter 23. I read this a moment ago. In verse 2, he called for all these different heads of the different levels of responsibility in Israel. The elders, the heads, their judges, their officers. He brings them all together. And there's a lot of things we could say about this, but I'm just trying to get the overview. Look in verse 6. He says, Be therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or the left. He said, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to ask you and charge you and challenge you and, 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 and treat you to, do, to be obedient to the word of God. Verse 8, he says, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you've done this day. Stay close to God. Cleave unto the Lord as you have up until this point in time. And in chapter 24, in verse 1, look at this. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. By the way, that phrase, the other side of the flood, is not talking about Noah's flood. It's talking about the Euphrates River. And that's where and the Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham came from. You served, and they served idols on the other side of that river. But when God called them, they came to this land we know as Canaan. In verse 3, he says, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. He's getting these people together and he's saying, I want you to affirm your commitment to God. So now let's go back to our text Chapter 24 and verse 14. And let's just look at this commitment. I hope you'll think it through. I hope you'll personalize it. Give your mind to what Joshua was doing at this time. Because he, he is about to, as I said, pass off the scene. And he's determined to get these people on board to commit to God. Now, a person who does not know their Bible. A person who's not familiar with the Old Testament. A person who is not aware of the track record of these Jews may wonder, well, why does he need to do this? Well, the obvious answer is, first of all, because they have a history of getting away from God. They have a history of making promises and not keeping them. And so he's, he's calling them to this commitment. And also because he... He wants them to be as much on board as possible when his imminent death occurs. The commitment he's calling for in verse 14 is sort of multifaceted. There's several aspects of it. Let's look at it and just point these out in verse 14. Now, therefore, here's the first thing he says, fear the Lord. Now, we read these like they're all a part of one thing, but they're not all. They're related, but they're not all the same thing. He said, first thing I want you to do is fear God. By the way, that's a good piece of advice, isn't it? Fear the Lord. And then he says, serve him. Don't just fear him, but serve him. And don't just serve him, but serve him in sincerity and in truth. Serve him with a 
with a pure heart, with sincerity. And, verse 14, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. So it's, a, it's, it's really a something you're doing toward God, but it's also something you're doing toward other things in your life that you don't need. Put away those false gods. By the way, you can't serve God and mammon. No man can serve two masters. If you're sitting here say, well, I beg to differ with you because I'm serving my own desires and I'm serving God. No, if you're serving your own desires, you're not serving God. You cannot serve two masters. And then he says again in verse 14, serve ye the Lord. So he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to fear God. I want you to get rid of any attachments to that former life. And I want you to serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. And then he sort of, I believe, probes about their view of serving the Lord. Look in verse 15. Notice this. It's, it's like a question. Um, it says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Now that's an interesting thing to me. He says to his people, to the Jewish people, if it seem evil unto you, to serve the Lord. Now we think of the word evil, we've covered this before, but just kind of a refresher. When we think of the word of evil, we think of something sinful. But sometimes in the Old Testament, the word evil is not talking about something just sinful, it means something that's bad. It's, it's not something that's desirable to you. It's something that would be worthless. It's, it's evil, it's no good, it's, it would be a burden, it wouldn't be something you would want. In other words, does it seem to you that serving the Lord is a bad thing? I'm, I'm phrasing it a different way. Now, does that not sound like a, an interesting question to ask a, a believer in God? And, I, and I, it, on the surface it does, but in my mind I'm thinking, you know, it's really a, it's a pretty good question, really. It would be a good question for parents to ask their children. Do you think it's a good thing to serve God? How, how do you feel about serving God? And I would suggest to you tonight that these, if these people were already all on board to serve God, he wouldn't even have to ask this question. So verse 15, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. If you don't think it's a, all that good a thing to serve the Lord, then he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. So basically, how do you view serving the Lord? This would be a question if I could ask it tonight individually of every person in this room and get a heartfelt response. It would be a good question to ask. How do you feel about serving the Lord? Now, there are people in this room that I already know the answer to that question because I watch them. I know them. But there are others I wouldn't really know how they would answer that. Do you think it's a good thing to serve the Lord with your life? Do you, how do you feel about serving the Lord? You know what? Nobody, tonight where the parents are going to, they're going to say, we're going to, by with God as our helper, we're going to do the best job we can to raise our children to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. By the way, that's a good commitment. That's what every parent should be striving to do. Every parent, every Christian parent. But you, we can't make our children have a heart to serve the Lord. You've got to be willing to serve. I can't make you. If I could, 
If I could tonight put inside the mind and heart of every person in this room that you're going to have all of a sudden, you're going to have a heart to serve God with your life. Whatever that means, you're going to have a, I'd love to do that, but I can't do that. Only God can do that. And we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to serve the Lord. It's got to be in our hearts. And he mentions this in another place. So let's go back to verse 15. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, he says this, choose you this day whom you will serve. So people are going to choose. There are young people sitting here tonight listening to what I'm saying, and they're going to one day choose whether they're going to serve God with their life or not, right? Everybody has to make that choice, who they're going to serve. You, and, you, and by the way, like I said earlier, you can't choose both. You can't have both. And I think people would like to do that, but you can't. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you can't because, because you personally are not able. You can't because nobody can. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to either serve the one and despise the other, or you're going to, you're going to love, the one, love the one and hate the other. That's what Jesus said. It's just, it's just reality. And if and if and that conflict that people have is is like sort of what James called a double-minded man. They want to they want to do both. They want to they want to be, they want to serve the Lord, but they also want to serve their own personal flesh and desires. It just cannot happen. So notice what he said in verse fifteen. I'm just we're just looking at this text tonight. Look in verse fifteen. He said, "Choose you." Someday, whom you will serve. Is that what your Bible says? No, it says choose you this day. Choose you this day. So, so Joshua is not just asking for a commitment. He's asking for a commitment now. He's asking for a commitment in the present. Now this is, if you'll just think about it, this makes sense. Nobody ever made a commitment in the future, right? I have reminders on my phone, a number of them, and I'll, hopefully they won't go off during church tonight, but they're reminders to do something. Reminders to do something in the future. Maybe in the morning, maybe later this week, maybe in a couple of weeks. They're reminders to do something, but, 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 I have them there because I want to do it someday, but when I do it, I'm going to do it in the present. Does that make sense to you? I'm going to do it in the, in the present. And, 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 and probably for a variety of reasons, but Joshua wasn't asking for them to commit tomorrow or next month or next year. He says, choose you this day. Every meaningful commitment that we ever made, we made in the present at that moment. Right? And that's what, that's what God wants us to do. And you know, what, you know what our tendency is in our flesh is to postpone important commitments. One day I'm going to be committed to this. One day I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. I was really encouraged this past week by someone who, who just sent me a text and said that um, the Lord really spoke to our heart in a recent message 
and just said, I just want you to know my wife and I made a commitment today that we're going to read our Bibles together with God as our helper every day. You make commitments in the present. Look, you are fooling yourself if you're, if you're thinking that postponing a commitment is the same thing as making a commitment. Those things are not even, not even comparable, not even similar. You know, one, some more convenient day, I'll ask for you. That's what, the, that's what the, was said to Rome or to, to uh, Paul. One of these days. So commitments are only made in, in the present. And, um, and I'll tell you, it's, I, I look at this situation, and again, Joshua had a lot of reasons probably to want them to do it now. But for him, his days were, his days were numbered. So have, let's read it again, verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. If it doesn't seem good to you, if it seems like it's a bad thing, if it doesn't seem a desirable thing, then you choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, they're all idols. They were idols in the Ur of the Chaldees when Abraham lived there. They're idols in Canaan while these people lived there. But that brings us to that last part of verse 15. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Joshua said, I can't decide for you. I'm asking you today to make a choice, but I can't decide for you, but I'm just, I just want to go on record that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, there's a lot of encouragement to me packed into that, that declaration of Joshua's. We, we see his resolve, I will. I don't, think there's a, I, I don't think there's any pride in that. I don't think there's any showmanship in that. I just think it's a declaration. You may be struggling with this. You may be struggling with whether you really think it's worth serving the Lord. But I just want to go on record as saying, as far as me and those who live with me, we're going to serve the Lord. It's, it's a resolve. And not only is it is a resolve, but it's a resolve that doesn't have any regard really for what his countrymen do. He says, you may not do this. And by the way, others may not do this, but you can do it. You can say, well, I, you know, I've got my family and my you know, extended family. I've got brothers and sisters and they don't seem to care. And you know, people in my neighborhood don't seem really... It, you don't have to have everybody on board. You just have to have you on board. It was, it was his decision, but it wasn't just his decision for himself. As a, as a husband, as a father, as a leader. It was his decision for his family. I'm choosing that we're going to serve the Lord. Now, I go back to what I said earlier, and it's true. That individuals, especially when they get into those older teen years and young adult years, they're going to decide for themselves. They're going to decide for themselves. You know, people, I know that people probably wonder sometimes when pastors like myself or Brother Garner, whoever it may be, when they're so, so passionate about asking people to make commitments to serve the Lord, and they probably, why, why does it matter so much to you? Because that's what we're here for, is to help people make wise decisions about their life. It's not like, it's not like we just 
our preachers, we got to get a sermon off our chest, you know, we're going to get it off our chest. And we're gonna, no, we, we care about people's lives. And if, and if I had reason to think that someone was not really committed to serving the Lord, I'd be concerned about those people, especially if it's a young person. Knowing that whenever they're old enough to leave home and get out on their own, if they don't have some real resolve about serving the Lord, why are they going to do it? Yes, they may come and show up when mom and dad want them to, but that doesn't mean they're not going to do it. They need moms and dads that are passionate about this. We want you to serve God with your life. God help us as families and parents not to emphasize that. So this is what he's doing. He's, he can't make decisions for them eternally. He can't make decisions for them in their adult life in the future. And by the way, this is a very negative thing to say, but I'm just going to say it. If you read a couple of chapters over, as soon as Joshua died... And as soon as everybody in his generation died, this whole bunch of people went back into idolatry. It's true. It's true. Thank God for moms and dads who love the Lord, and thank God for preachers who hold people to the Word of God. But I'm telling you, you've got to make your own decision about how you're going to live for God. And it ought to be based on what the Bible says. Parents, and this, this is really what brings us around to this this thought tonight because of this special service, but parents ought to be committed to leading their children to serve the Lord. We, we need more people like Joshua. You decide for yourself what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I, I say that knowing that there are probably a lot of people, if they were to listen to this sermon, would actually feel like Joshua accused these people of feeling that it's evil to serve the Lord. It's not really that, it's not really worth it. It's not really that valuable. It's not good, that good. I, it's not that appealing to me. I want to tell you, there's nothing that this world has to offer that even compares to the joy and privilege of serving God with your life. I'm not talking about being a preacher, I'm talking about being a servant of God. All of us ought to be willing to serve the Lord with our life. So how did, how did these people respond? Aren't you curious about that? How did these people respond? I think he's putting them on the spot. How did these people respond? Look what it says in verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Doesn't that sound good? You're barking up the wrong tree, preacher. Don't you know who we are? God forbid that we would ever forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It'll never happen. Why, why don't you just chill? <laughs> Sounds like they're ready to commit to me. Look what it says in verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, we're just kind of looking at this exchange between Joshua and the people. And Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord. Now that is an interesting rebuttal to what they just said they said god forbid and he says you're not going to do it you cannot serve the lord for he is an holy god he is a jealous god he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins you say man i think he's trying to discourage them they say we want to serve the lord and he's saying no you won't he wasn't trying to discourage them. I think he's trying to get them to see that what they're, 
with where they are, how they're living, he knows them, that they're not demonstrating what's required to serve the Lord. That's why he said, you need to understand God is holy. God is a holy God. God is a jealous God. He's warning them. God's not going to keep forgiving you when you just keep ignoring his commandments and not living for him. So he, he gives them this response. And look in verse 21. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Can't you just see this back and forth? You need to serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You won't serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. That's exactly how it sounds. They strongly disagree with him. Verse 22. Joshua really pressed upon them the importance of what's taking place. Look what he said in verse 22. And Joshua said unto the people, You're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. You need to understand what you're saying. And they said, We are witnesses. Now look in verse 23. Now therefore... Put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord your God. That's very interesting to me. Because they said, we will serve the Lord. He says, you've got to get rid of your gods. We will get rid of them. We will serve the Lord. You're not going to serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And then he says, okay. Then get rid of those strange gods that are among you. Even while they're saying they're going to serve the Lord, apparently they still had these strange gods, these idols that they had, yet they're saying, we're going to serve the Lord. He says, you can't serve the Lord and hold on. We will serve the Lord. Then he says, get that garbage out of your life. You know, this would be an interesting story if, if it was just a historical record of what took place in Joshua's life. And what took place in the life of Israel. But it's also interesting because I think it, it's kind of a, an example of how it's possible for people to live. Where they would say, yeah, I'm serving the Lord. And yet still they got these idols in their life. Oh yeah, I'm serving God. And I, you know, I can't be at church all the time because I got to go fishing. And I can't do this because I got to do that. But I'm serving God. I'm serving. And I, you know what? You know what? Joshua would say, then get those things out of your life that mean more to you than God does. That's what an idol is. There are lots of people who would say, well, we're going to serve God, and yet they're not serving God. They've got a lot of time to do a lot of things, but they're not really serving God, and yet they say, but we are serving. No, you're not serving God. It's so common in our day. And there's so many things, and I mentioned this this morning, so many things in life that occupy the attention and devotion that belong to the Lord. It's a, it's a full-time job being a Christian. It's everything about our life. It's everything about our life. And as parents, we have to be in tune with what our families are facing I got a notification on my phone a few days ago that said that you've used, it tells me how much face, different kinds of 
How many times I pick your phone up? How many, time, how many hours a day or week you spend on your phone? Some of you are familiar with that. Kind of reminder. And I was really surprised because I had spent like a half hour a day using my phone. And I thought, that's a lot. You know, a recent poll says that the average teenager spends almost 11 hours a day consuming some form of electronic media. I I think no matter how you feel about anything I'm saying, you've got to see that as a reason to be concerned. When people have to wake up in the night and check their their news feed to see what's going on, there's something warped about that. I'm talking about TV, radio, internet, all these forms of media. Now, they, a lot of them don't have time to read their Bible, understand. They don't, no time for Bible reading, but lots of time for all this other garbage. 53%, this same poll, 53% of children can go online with no parental supervision. And I understand your children would never, ever look at anything or listen to anything they should. No music, no conversations, right? But think about that. Is that really wise? I'm talking about, I'm talking about this charge that Joshua gave these people. And they said, we'll serve the Lord. Then he says, get this stuff out of your life. Amen. If you're serious about it, get this stuff out of your life. And I, I have a phone. I, I mean, I use the phone, but I don't think our phone should use us. It's a tool. This is shocking to me. 56% of children, over half children between 8 and 11 have a smartphone. Who would really rationally believe that a 10 or 11 year old must have a smartphone? Can that really be good for us? You say, well, I don't think you ought to be talking about it. Somebody needs to be talking about this stuff. And as, the, and as the age goes up, the percentage goes up. Almost 70% of 12-year-olds. I can just see some kids going home tonight and say, seven out of 10 kids have a smartphone and I'm 12 and I don't have one yet. And you'll say, just blame the preacher. Notice what it says at the end of that verse 23. Now therefore... That's what really you really believe. Put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you. Notice this. And incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. You know what their problem was? They lived in a, they lived in a heathen land. They lived in Canaan, a land known for all sorts of vile religious filth. But the problem wasn't the world they lived in that was the problem. The real problem was their heart. And he says, incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. If our heart is not right with God, we're going to be wide open for all kinds of temptation. All forms of bad decisions. Incline your heart unto the Lord. In verse 24, the people repeated, they said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and His voice will we obey. Now, what do you do at this point? What do you do? If you're the preacher, you're the leader, what do you do at this point? You say, serve the Lord. And they say, we will serve the Lord. No, you won't serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. 
then get all this garbage out of your life. They said, we will serve the Lord. So he did, the, he, again, the whole point is, he is about to leave. God's about to take him home. He has finished his race. He just, he wants to get these people on board with the word of God and with the God of the Bible. He wants these people to continue. So what did he do? He made this commitment. Verse 25, Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. So he makes this this ordinance, a law, a covenant, a statute. And he writes it down. Verse 26 says he, he wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He recorded these commitments that they are making. Kind of reminds me of that Sunday morning message a couple of weeks ago from Nehemiah when he did the same thing. He said, we're going we're gonna to write this down. He didn't just say write it down. He said, we're going to write it down and we're going to seal it. We're going to put a seal on it. It's an official document. That's so different. I don't think we need to do that. But I'm telling you, commitments are important. Don't, don't fool yourself. Commitments are really important. And then he said, we're going, to, we're going to get this boulder, this large stone. Look in verse 26. And he took a great stone and set it there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone, this large boulder, will be a witness unto us. For it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. He's trying to say, you said you're going to do this. You're vowing that you're going to do this. You keep repeating that you're going to do this. So I'm going to write it down. I'm going to record it. And and this stone will be a reminder. Every time you walk by this stone, I want it to be a reminder that you said you're going to live in a certain way. You said you're going to get this out of your life. So it's going to be a permanent witness to you. So when you, it's one thing if you walk up onto our porch and you see this plaque on the right side of our door on our front porch and it says as for me and my house we'll serve the Lord and that's a good saying it's a Bible saying but it takes on new meaning when you think about the context in which it was given and the, and the great emphasis that Joshua was putting on the people to make that kind of commitment I think that's one of the reasons why having a a special time or a special Sunday for families to say, you know, we're, we're taking this serious. We need to take it serious. I mean, we all agree with this. We would all champion this, this truth, this cause. The children are a gift from God. They are a gift from God. And the stewardship of that gift is first and foremost entrusted into their parents. To raise them for the Lord. Isn't that a serious thing to think about? I think it is. I've, I've heard this said, and, and I believe it's true in, in, to a great degree, that our lives, I think about this in my own life, but our lives in essence are a, a, a summation or a, a result of all the commitments and decisions that we've made in our life and we've kept those decisions. That, you know, making a commitment doesn't change your life. But if you make a good commitment and you live by it, it will change your life. 
That being said, and I believe that's true, by the way, by the same token, some people's lives are, are basically the result of commitments that they could have made and should have made but never made. I think commitments matter. The first of the commitment that we make to receive Christ as our Savior. That's the greatest commitment you'll ever make. The greatest commitment you'll ever make. To genuinely put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Put your faith in what He did on the cross for you. That's not just praying a prayer, a meaningless prayer. It's a, genuine, it's a genuine coming to God as a lost sinner and saying, I'm, I know that I don't deserve to be saved and I know that I'm lost, but I'm, I need to be saved and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've never made that commitment, you ought to make that commitment. You're not saved by your commitment. You're saved by, your, by Jesus Christ and his faith, your faith in him. It'll change your life. Amen? I say this I've said this many times and I mean this. I think the greatest commitment that I ever made in my life after I got saved was a commitment I made on a Sunday morning. It was either in 1975 or 1976. When my pastor got up and preached a message from Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, I saw it for a man among them who was standing in the gap and make up the hedge between me for the land that I might not destroy it, and I found none. God said, I, in his word, God said through Ezekiel, I saw it for a man, and I couldn't find one. And on that day, I committed my life to serving Jesus Christ. I wasn't a preacher, I hadn't been called to preach. I was a house painter with a little family that had just gotten saved and got right with God. But on that day, the most important decision I ever made after salvation was I committed my life to serve God. I didn't know what that would mean, but I meant it. There are people sitting here tonight that have never made that commitment, genuinely made that commitment, said, Lord, I only have one life to live and I want to live it for you. You say, well, what if you wanted me to be a preacher? Well, there could be other worse things in life, right? He might want you to be a preacher's wife. <laughs> you have to listen to these sermons once. She has to listen to them all the time. Hey, I'm not talking about, I don't believe it's multiple choice. I don't believe God says, here's what you can do with your life, A, B, C, D, none of the above or all of the above. No, I think, God, I think God has a plan for every one of our lives. And the best thing you could do with your life after getting saved is saying, God, I only have one life to live and I don't care what my friends think or what they do. I'm going to live for God in my life. I don't believe that I personally get any credit for serving God with my life. God dealt with my heart, and by the grace of God, I gave my life to Him. 
And he has helped me always believe that that's the most important thing I can do with my life. God could have got a lot better, a lot better tools than me, but I happen to be on the scene. And it's like when Isaiah heard the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here I am, my Lord, send me. It's the best thing you can do with your life. We ought to make commitments like Joshua asked the people in his day to put away the things that don't belong in our lives. If you can't control this phone, if you can't only use it in a way that's pleasing to God, you ought to get it out of your life. You don't need this as much as you need God working in your life. And that could be anything. We just happen to be, I mentioned that, but that could be anything in your life. Anything in your life that's standing between you and what God wants you. You ought to get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Make a commitment to serve the Lord. I think this message is relevant for our time of dedication for a lot of reasons. But one reason is because the more families are on board together to serve the Lord, the better it is. I told you this morning, and this is other people's stories, not just our story, but my, my mama never had a husband to support her, not one day of her life in her marriage. I never once ever, ever saw my dad go to church except to a funeral and a wedding. But you know what? My mom, by the grace of God, she kept us in church and served the Lord all her life until the Lord took her home. But I'm just saying, when you got more people on board, it's a good thing. Husband and wife pulling the same direction, that's a good thing. A house divided, Jesus said, is going to be in trouble. Division has a tendency to weaken, tendency to weaken. We need to be worked together, serving the Lord. These worthwhile decisions and commitments are valuable. I mean, you may not believe this, but there could be someone in this service tonight that's going to make a decision tonight, not because I'm a good preacher, because I know better than that, but because the Bible challenges you that could change your life. But thinking about it, pondering it, Considering it will not do anything for you until you're willing to say, I'm in. I'm all in. Count on me. God, you can count on me. I'm in. Then he'd say, well, then okay. I got a plan for you. Amen. Do you know you're saved? If you don't, you ought to come tonight and say, I need somebody to help me with that. If you are saved, tonight would be a good night to say, Lord, I want to I want to serve you with my life. I'd never ask you to serve me with your life because I haven't done anything for you, but Jesus did everything for you. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. He went to the cross for you. And the only reasonable thing for any one of us to do is to say, God, I want to serve you with my life. Amen. Does it seem evil to you to serve the Lord? It's a good question. 
No, it's not evil. It's the good, best thing I can do with my life. Amen. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Thank you for being so attentive tonight. Tonight I'm going to ask you, whoever you are, if you're a guest here, if you come here often, if you come here occasionally, if you're a young person, if you're an older person, whoever you are, what do you think God would have you to do tonight as a result of what we read and talked about here in the Word of God? What would God have you to do? Nothing. If, you, if you're a husband or a wife, if you have a family and you're only half-heartedly in on serving the Lord, I'd challenge you to not get all in. We're going to serve God. We don't have much time we've got left, but we're going to serve God with our life. Father, I pray tonight that you would bless these moments as we reflect upon what your word says. Think about these parents here who have children, children that they love, children that you love, children that you want to be your own, children that you want to serve you with their lives. God, we need your help. Father, I pray if there are people on the fence tonight, unsure about their level of commitment, I pray that tonight we would be willing to step up our commitment, our game. God, you've done so much for us. This world... And all that it has has done nothing for us but give us grief and heartache and disappointment, pain, shame. But you've given us life, eternal life, abundant life. We're so thankful. 